Welcome to episode 258 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 258 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is actor Amber Jade Sims. I mean, this is like one of those loaded questions that we ask each other now, but how are you doing? <laughs> um, today, right now, I am rested and hydrated, and that is a lot for today, and that's good for me. That is good for, that is good. There have been days when I have been neither, so <laughs> that's a pretty good spot to be in. What, what, how have you been keeping yourself busy these days? Uh, I have been sleeping a lot, to be honest with you. Um I've also been slowly getting into a, a yoga practice of sorts, um, but kind of just um, trying to chill out and breathe mm. and be a person. <laughs> That's interesting because in some ways the, the, the theater treadmill doesn't allow us to do that very often, to just sort of sit in stillness and just like be for a while. Yeah. It's hard to do that when you're constantly auditioning and running around the city and rehearsing. So this six months of time has been um, different, but I think helpful mm. in, um, you know, figuring out who I am and what I'm about and what I stand for. So it's been it's been nice, but also terrifying and but also <laughs> nice. <laughs> have you have you learned anything about yourself that you that you didn't know before? Yeah, I have. And um, it's mostly how um, I operate around other people and the things that I have accepted in the past that I think are unacceptable now. So it's been um, it's been a lot of reexamining my relationships with people, uh, mm. which has been, like I said, terrifying, but um, also kind of rewarding and kind of um, relieving in some instances, because then I don't have to deal with certain people anymore because i've said so <laughs> <laughs> well that that is that is that is something that we get to do is to is to decide uh who's just too much effort yes you know effort yeah. effort indeed <laughs> yeah um now one of the things that i like to talk about is the theater origin story like what is it that <laughs> that made you decide to pursue theater? What was your first theater experience? Tell me your story. Oh, man. We have to go all the way back to kindergarten. I love those stories. Tell me. Tell me. And the thing is, is I don't even really remember it, but I have photo evidence that it happened. So it must have been a recital at the school next door that had a stage. And I was 
I was prone to wearing this one outfit. It's a yellow outfit, um, top and bottom with a white top. And I got to dress up as um, as an ice cream cone. So that's where it started. And I must have been comfortable <laughs> on stage because I didn't seem uncomfortable in those photos. And there were lots mm. of them because my parents were really proud, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think it started there. And then, like, my first memory of being thrilled by the prospect of theater was probably when um, uh, one of my church sisters who um, was older than me, so she was like my mentor or my teacher, she got tickets to The Lion King at the Princess of Wales Theater. Mm. And I think I was around seven or eight at this point. And I had never been to a play before that. So um, that was my first theater experience. And when I was watching all of them dancing on stage, I was like, oh, I can do that. I want to mm. do that. And I think that's when I kind of d like made a concrete decision of, I definitely made a concrete decision of needing to be in the arts, but I didn't make a concrete decision about acting. Hmm. So that decision came later. I have worked in front of house a few times and, and at one point for a few years. And one of my favorite things is look, is watching kids who it's clearly their first live theater experience it it's is amazing. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and at seven or eight, you're a prime Lion King age. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. I don't even really, I don't even remember the show, but I remember the feeling that I had and it mm. was so incredible. And at what point, so you, you, you sort of felt drawn to the arts at that point. At what point did you start heading towards theater and acting? as a practice or was it like, and did you just throw a whole lot at the artistic world at the beginning? And like, what, what drew you to theater? Um, this is going to sound really, um, full of myself, but I was mm. good at it. <laughs> you know what? That, that, that is, it. that is, that is perfectly, that doesn't sound full of yourself to me. In fact, I, there's all, it, it's refreshing to have, to have somebody just say I was good at it. And also, when you're a kid, you know you're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> you can it's really funny because kids really have no filter. Yeah. Um, so they're really really honest in their feedback and I never got any negative feedback about my acting skills when I was in elementary school. So I I knew I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, just that. <laughs> but yeah. And so so you just kept doing it and at a certain point you decided that this was going to be your career and how did how did that come about that this that you didn't just pursue it as a hobby but it was going to be like a real thing i'm going to give you the spark notes version of the story um all right so uh grade 5 i started playing piano grade 6 i continued piano but then also started with violin grade 7 i moved to cello grade 8 i continued with cello Grade nine, I auditioned for an art school um, thinking that I was going to be a musician um, because I had played cello. Surprisingly, didn't audition with cello when I was doing music audition. <laughs> I auditioned with um, uh, percussion because I was also really good on percussion. Not amazing, which I found out later, but good enough <laughs> that I thought I could audition for this role. Um, but to make sure that I, I, I was... Um, in a, in a place in my life at 
13 years old where I was being bullied a lot. So I really didn't want to go to the same school that my bullies were going to. So I I knew that if I got into this art school, even though I'd be having to commute an hour and like every day to school and back, that I would at least be able to immerse myself in something that I loved and be able to kind of reinvent um, what people saw me as. So when I auditioned for Etobicoke School of the Arts, that is where I went, um, I auditioned for ESA for music and music was my first choice, but I did um, a drama backup. And in the audition for drama, I felt like a lot of ease and it was easy for me to um, to like do my monologue, to take direction, to improv. So when I got the results that I had gotten into the school, I actually... <laughs> I wasn't shocked about getting in. I was hmm. shocked about where I was accepted, which was drama. Hmm. So that is kind of where it began. Uh, and so when I started high school, finally, when I was 14, um, I ended up like really immersing myself into drama because we had to, because you have your two major, you have your major that you have to um, be in. You have to be in class every day for your major. So um Eventually, at some point in grade nine, I realized that the workload of being a drama student and also keeping up with um, with music was too much for me. So I ended mm. up dropping piano and cello really early on, but then um, focused on drama a lot more. And then I found um, in grade 10, I found that uh, acting, well... <laughs> I might, ooh, I might be putting myself in trouble here. Whatever, it's fine. No, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> so uh, my my teachers in school um, have a really terrible ha- habit of picking favorites. And mm. um, the favoritism was really, really geared towards, um, towards the white men, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and everyone, like, I I was a speck of pepper in a sea of salt. So people kind of mm. had this expectation of me um, in school that I didn't fit into. They expected, mm. like, um, someone who wasn't well-spoken. They expected someone who was loud and could dance and all that stuff, which I, like, am and can do. But I'm also a multifaceted person who doesn't always fall into that, depending on my mood. Mm. So... Basically, in grade 10, when I realized that the favoritism was um, causing me to um, lose hope in regards to an acting career, I decided that uh, I would take up learning what backstage was all about. So then I got really, really good at being a stage manager and a lighting Mm -hmm. operator and a sound operator. And I was um, uh, really, I, I took to it like it was nothing. So grade 11, um, that is when our our technical director passed away. And Mm -hmm. so for a few weeks, I was called upon quite a bit to be the person who would run our theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a big responsibility, but I realized that I I was fine under the pressure and it was good for me. So Mm -hmm. when we get to grade 12, when we're deciding um, when what we're going to do for post-secondary or if we're going to do post-secondary... I was 
um, really confused. But uh, right at that point in grade 12 as well was when we also got a new drama teacher. His name is Mr. Black. Darren Black, if you're listening, I love you. You're great. Um, So Darren, because he was new, didn't know any of the acting capabilities of anyone in the class. And so he wasn't judging anyone from what he had already known. He was judging Hmm. people from what he what like from what they gave immediately. Hmm. And so he wanted to see every single person act. And so for some people, they had already given up and they were just like, I I know I'm not going to be an actor, so like I'll just give up. But for me, I had not totally given up on acting, but I knew that I had to like do my assignments well and uh, Mm. like uh, with the roles that he assigned me, had to perform them well. So um, after our, I think it was our class show, I believe it was Tough by, what's his name? (sighs) What's his name? George F. Walker. Yes. Yes. tough uh i played jill and we had like this whole fight scene and i was in the the show with someone who really didn't like me and kind of um treated me bad (laughs) let's just say Mm. that and i got to beat him up on stage and it was great (laughs) uh it wasn't a real beat up but it was good enough for me you know, sometimes a stage combat beat up can be just as satisfying. It was super satisfying because no <laughs> one left harmed, but I felt vindicated. <laughs> um, so after that point, when he realized that I was a good actor, um, then he showed that he was really proud of me and he gave me confidence to like maybe pursue acting. And I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about this as a possibility for a few years, but maybe I will. So I applied to schools. I got into schools and then I had to make a choice of staying in Toronto and going to Ryerson for acting or production or going to Windsor for acting. And then I got put on the wait list for Windsor, but then they accepted me. So then it was like a choice and then I made it and I went to Windsor. So it was like a whole ordeal of getting to training again and Mm. falling in love with acting again. And to be honest, it's still a journey of falling in love with acting. (laughs) Do do you still find that? that, that Are you falling in and out of love with acting? Well, yes, because um, I think for me personally, it depends on the space that um, the director or production team creates. Hmm. So based on the project, I can fall in love or I can fall out of love. Um, And then that kind of it it also reminds me how much that um, acting is such a, a job and it's very much business, even though we're creating magic. But it reminds me of um, just like the 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 business side and the the work side of acting. Yeah. When you came out of the the Windsor program, did you feel like you were uh, in love with theater again, or 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 where were you on that love hate relationship? To be honest, for um, the whole of my fourth graduating year. Um, I, I didn't think there was going to be work for me at all. Um, because 
again, I was a speck of pepper in a sea mm-hmm. of salt. And mm-hmm. I kind of knew what what odds I was up against in regards mm. to theater and it's not and that not being diverse. So when I came out of the program, um, I I expected that I would struggle quite a bit and then I mm. in like within maybe a year I'd have to quit and find something else to do. But I was really lucky that Theatre Ontario, um, Theatre Ontario happened in the January and mm. it gave me a lot more confidence about my potential coming into the theatre world in Toronto. So um, after I performed at Theatre Ontario, my agent came up to me immediately who would, who would turn out to be my agent came mm. up to me immediately and was like, did you submit to us yet? Okay. Because you're great and you should submit and came up, like found me in the crowd. And I was like standing with people and he like interrupted those people and like handed his card just to me. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, that is awesome. It was super, it was like flattering. Um, and I didn't think that anyone was really going to be paying attention to me. Hmm. And I was, I was seen and it was great. Um, and right afterwards, I also got an, like when we were on the bus back to Windsor, I got an email from Philip Aiken, who was the AD of Obsidian at the time mm-hmm. and said that he saw my work and he would like to talk to me for a tea if I was available. And like just like those two occurrences happening in less than 24 hours, happening within the span of five hours, actually, mm. um, all kind of gave me confidence that um, that I I needed to to actually pursue acting because if they the whole reason why I wanted to go oh, here we go. The whole reason why I wanted to go into acting in the first place was because I wanted to see people like me being Mm. represented everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't see those people, then I needed to become that person. So that is why I decided to pursue acting. Mm -hmm. So Theatre Ontario happening really kind of uh, was a spark under my butt. And then I made it happen. And so when I um, graduated and came back to Toronto, um, things were weird because I was like moving back into my home permanently Mm. and um, being this like new adult who like needed to get a Joe job, but also be at auditions and stuff. And it was an adjustment period, but it luckily didn't take very long because my Agents kind of really took me under their wing and taught me the way. And um, immediately I I kind of started soaring within mm. a few months. And it was um, really gratifying having like gone from people are not paying attention to me literally at all. I'm literally in the background to I'm in the foreground now. And now you have to pay attention. It, it sounds like you you you're your agent was the perfect agent for you coming out of theater school. Cause I think some agents bring somebody in and they expect them to know the shit. Yeah. And they penalize that person for not knowing the shit when, how could they? 
Right. You know, um, and you found just the right person to to sort of help you along and 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 tell you the things that you need to know. And that's and great. They were really patient with me as well because I asked a lot of silly questions and they made me feel like they weren't silly questions at all. Looking back, I mm. cringe, but I'm I'm good now. But I mean, I mean, it's it's like it's it's the I don't I'm going to use the word ignorance, but that's not what I mean. It's the ignorance of not knowing, right? Like, yeah. How can you know the things that you don't know? And you have to be brave enough to ask. Otherwise, you're stuck in, uh, you know, not knowing. You're just faking it. Absolutely. Especially because oh. theater school doesn't really set you up to know how the actual theater world works. Mm. So that's super different and definitely a thing a, a lot of my colleagues have um, agreed with me on that yeah. it like doesn't set you up for the real world at all. A lot of schools don't even bother telling you about the business of acting and, and don't yeah. have a course in it. And so it's like, we're going to teach you all this great stuff about acting. Now go in, out into the world that you know nothing about and good luck. Yeah. And they, they throw you into the literal ocean with your yeah. hands bound and expect you to swim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Now, when you were at the the Theater Ontario uh, uh, Generals, I don't, I think they called them the Generals anyway, doing the auditions. They, that's when they bring all the theater schools together. Yes, and everybody just sort of auditions. Were you still um, a speck of pepper in a sea of salt? Um, I was amongst a few specks of pepper, but still very much a sea of salt. Hmm. Because mm -hmm. yeah. I think back to my own my own years in in theater school and there were one in my first year there were there were there were two black brothers who joined the program and they didn't last six months oh, and wow. then the year after me there was uh, uh one uh, black kid who managed to get through the whole the whole thing but like the year before me was was very white and the years after me were very white and i think mm -hmm. that's that is a theater school trait and people like Tanisha Tate and, and, and other, other teachers of color. And, and they're, they're trying to push more for schools to take that white bias out. Yeah. And uh, so that, so that I think, because we have to change the way that, that um, both the theater schools and the theaters look at color and remove the white default that they seem to have and start to, to, to make our stages look more like the world around us, especially in a place like Toronto. I think that was the issue with um, the favoritism that happened in my schooling because um, like all of my, like all of my instructors across the board were white people and mm -hmm. didn't know they, they didn't know how to interact with me. And um, mm -hmm. it was so apparent in, who they decided they wanted to put their focus on when really like I, if you gave me the chance, I mm. am an incredible storyteller, but you're just not used to hearing a story in from my body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it it's the, so my, my graduating class was 20 people and I was the only person of color. Um, the class that came after me was all white. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the class after that maybe had, two or three people of color mm. and then after that was one person and this year is two or two or three people 
So they didn't get like a lot better, but it wasn't just like not a lot of, we ended up um, coming together. And the fact mm. that all of us could find each other <laughs> mm-hmm. because there were so few of us was saying something. And um, yeah, so they didn't, theater school didn't get much better after mm. I left, but I think they are trying to make an effort. I will say that, but I think mm. in making the effort on their end, um, I think people of color and like BIPOC specifically black and indigenous folks are really discouraged from um, like entering theater or, or acting programs because mm. they're already so, um, so underrepresented. Mm. And so it, it becomes when you, when you're like, when you, operate in a body that's racialized in society and you're looked down upon in society already then Mm -hmm. when you want to pursue something like acting and you have a spotlight on you it becomes very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I some people really don't want to take on the the work that comes with that and just want to live their lives and I completely absolutely 100% respect that because like we must protect ourselves mm-hmm. but I think um that works against theater school sometimes because the people don't want to audition but it also reflects badly upon the theater school because the theater school should be working harder to uh, show that their environment is is inclusive and safe for these people to to train mm-hmm. so it's a lot of moving parts i would say yeah there are definitely a lot of moving parts and and i can imagine that that there is like if you're looking at theater schools and all of their promotional material is a sea of white people. Oh, here's white people in a play. Here's white people in a play. Here's white people in a play. You, Except for the one it, token that they put oh, on all yes, of their of advertising. Of course. It's, oh, the same guy. It's the same guy um, that you sort of must wonder, like, what would it, what is it going to be like in this place surrounded by just white people? Uh, the answer is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's just say that uh, in regards to the racial movement that's happening now, a lot of people are really behind. And mm-hmm. I, these are, these are things that I was hip to when I was literally a teenager. So mm-hmm. people are really behind, but I'm also thankful for this time because as much as they're behind, at least they're now aware sort of a little bit and trying to work on not being so far behind, which I appreciate because then I it actually lessens the amount of time that I have to work on teaching people in spaces and uh, increases the time that we can just be working. It is interesting because just like you were saying about the time to to breathe and the time to 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 sit and 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 just sort of be with yourself, theaters are often on that treadmill of production constantly, and that's almost been a an excuse for not doing the work, for not uh, doing what needs to be done to 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 remove their white default and to to bring. Uh, BIPOC people to bring black people, indigenous people more into their shows on a, on a, on a regular basis so that uh, now they've, they've had, like, they can't use that excuse. They have nothing but the time. Um, And there are people holding them to account in a way that I don't think they were before. Exactly. All eyes are on them right now to be the leaders that they are supposed to be. Um. 
we there was the 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 Twitter conversation or the Twitter hashtag uh, uh, in in the dressing room. Yes. Um, and were, did you did you participate in that? I didn't put any stories up because um, I think I simply my brain is so wonderful to me, but also terrible. I think mm. I've repressed a lot of those memories if they, if I did have negative experiences. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to recount them well enough unless mm-hmm. they were like really overtly uh, racist and terrible and really made me mm-hmm. question my worth. So I, I don't really remember those instances, to be quite honest. They're they're somewhere in like the back of my filing cabinet in my brain. But I mm-hmm, bet if, mm-hmm. if they were triggered that I could remember it. But I, I don't actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's again, I think that's one of those conversations that happened. And, you know, kudos to Stratford for facing their deficiencies and and, and giving over the, the Stratford Twitter account to to the black uh, cast members and, 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 and enabling that conversation and encouraging it. Um, it does still, there is still, I think, I think I was talking to, to E.B. Smith and, and, you know, there's a lot of work to do and everybody's got a lot of work to do. And it's one thing to put out a statement. It's another thing to actually do the work. One is easy and one takes a long-term commitment and lots of work and willpower. Yeah. And um, it also takes like taking a step back. And I don't think a lot of people are ready to do that because that um, affects their their money and their livelihoods. And I think a lot of people aren't ready to do that. No, no. It's I mean, it's it's quote unquote, it's dangerous. It's and it takes it means that you have to reckon with things that make you uncomfortable. And goddamn, if there's one thing white people don't like, it's feeling uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned off the top that you were starting a yoga practice. Yeah. Is this new? Is this like something you've dabbled in before? Or is this something that's that's pandemic new? Um, it's it's kind of new. So in theater school training, there there is like there are elements of yoga that come into like your physical training, but like you wouldn't be able to name them uh, as yoga because it's just like all a, a, a smorgasbord of work so uh in this new pandemic practice i guess yes it's new in pandemic but um (laughs) i've i've been realizing that a lot of the positions that uh i'm learning i'm like oh i know what this is i just Mm. didn't have a name for it (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah it's been it's been new for the last like i've been in it for like a week and it's Mm. been very helpful um because i've lost a lot of muscle because I haven't really been doing much, um, but I, I feel the need to build it back. So yeah. here I am. I don't know about you, but six months is a long time for sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and eating snacks. So yes. <laughs> there's not a lot of opportunity. Those those activities are not known for building muscle. Um, no. In March, were you working on anything at the time when all of this started? Uh, so the government. Okay. The government, the government, Mm, the government. Okay. (laughs) The schools uh, had um, been on strike for a while and nothing was really going to get any better. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was supposed to be in YPT's show called Blue Planet. But then it got. Oh canceled. my God! No, sorry. Yeah. I hear. I hear you're in a YPT show, and I already know where this is going. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Blue Planet got canceled. And then two weeks later, we were in lockdown by the time that everything wrapped up with canceling the show. So wow. it would have been canceled either way, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know if I was sadder that it got canceled because of striking or if it got if it was going to be canceled because of COVID. So I don't know, because it, it seems to me like if that it you would have gotten some more performances in if it hadn't been canceled for striking and at least COVID, you could have been like, well, everybody is doing this. Yeah, we would have been in, I think, the first few weeks of rehearsal had it mm. not. Oh, OK, OK. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know. Um, and then and then like. Oh, it's uh, it's such a the position that everybody finds themselves in of like, OK, so now what did were you because you mentioned moving home? Were you living at home? Were you like what was your did you have roommates? What was that situation like? Yeah. So um, I live at home with my mom. Um don't be sad and you don't have to say anything about this next part, but my uh, father passed away in October. So we were kind of dealing with like closing everything mm. down for him and closing his accounts and everything. So we mm. were like um, kind of going through a grieving process and moving mm. all of his stuff out or into corners or into boxes or giving them mm. away. So the whole, um, so from basically October 2019 till I would even say up until February, March mm. kind of was a blur. Um, a lot of things mm -hmm. happened and uh, I, I, I am really tired. I was really tired during that point. I can't imagine. It was a lot. <laughs> uh, well, I would like to just say, just say that I'm, I'm sorry for your loss and that's all I'll say about it. Cause I want to make a lot of it, but, um, and then going home and 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 dealing with with the lockdown i mean you were saying like like the the quiet and the the stillness but but how how has that been aside from the yoga how have you been occupying yourself um a lot of time spent on the internet a lot of time <laughs> I know that feeling and it stresses me out so much sometimes that I'm like, I think I just, I just want to delete the internet some days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it sometimes becomes really overwhelming taking in all of that information for a number of hours. So mm -hmm. then I ended up just like passing out at really random hours and now I don't have <laughs> much of a sleep schedule at all and that's okay. I actually go to bed like six in the morning mm. and that's kind of been my regular schedule, but it's been pretty consistent. So I guess I do have a sleep schedule. It's just an, a sleep schedule that doesn't really work for the real world. But what is the it's real just, world anyway? It's a, what is the real world? What is time? What is the real world? What is a sleep schedule? It is a, it's a pandemic sleep schedule. Yeah. You know, and whatever. I, it's working for me. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. At this point, for a lot of people, and it's just like, what can you do that, that like, what can you do if it's going to bed at six in the morning? That's what That's you can it. do. Yeah. Um, have you have you felt any kind of creative spark or or like what's what's oh oh tell me tell me. Not even a little bit, and it's sad no because um, people have asked me to uh, do creative things, hmm. and um, I'm I personally I just um, I don't have a. a personal spark to create from my own brain and from my own body but 
if people give me a script and they need mm-hmm. it read, mm-hmm. I can do that no problem. If people mm-hmm. want me to like create a thing and they give me a base of what to create it on, like I can maneuver enough that if you give me roughly what you need, I can kind of figure it out. But like mm-hmm. a spark from myself within me from my own head, it is not I don't think it's going to happen if we're still in lockdown. I I I've pretty much completely lost inspiration but it's not in a sad way it's just in Mm. a uh i i don't have the energy to do that because i'm using my energy to survive right now that is completely understandable 100 percent i used when this whole thing started and there were those people who were like if you don't come out of the pandemic with a new skill or a new new (laughs) project, then the problem was never time. I was like, shut up, please. This is a (laughs) pandemic. This is not like vacation time. I am too stressed. I am too busy doom scrolling on my phone to worry about like some creative project. Yes. I mean, I bought a mixer, so I guess baking has been like a new thing that I picked up. That counts. That counts. What have you have you have you uh baked anything interesting or just like snacks? Just like the basic banana breads and cookies and that's it. But it's you know what? That is that is as far as I'm concerned, that's that's pandemic baking right there. Just whatever you need to get through. Yeah. And and Um, I really like my mixer. It's really pretty. Nice. Nice. Is it, is it, is like, it's a, is it like a heavy duty mixer? Is it like fancy, like it's like high end or is it? It's an Oster. So it's like a oh. step down from a kitchen, kitchen. Right. So, but it's like pretty much built very similarly, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like half the price. And I really like mine. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because there's, there's, there's like, I'm, I have in the last little while started to feel the ebb and flow of creativity. I'll have like little, little, little bits of it, but then I'm, you know, we've hit like six months of this, this situation. And I, I definitely find myself hitting a point of like, well, whatever that was, that's gone. That's gone (laughs) for now. Cause that's six months of this is like way too much for my brain. Yeah. I fully agree. (laughs) <laughs> I actually like wrote a song at the beginning of pandemic mm. and then never performed it. Just wrote it down and then closed the book. Mm. Has music been a thing that you continued? Cause you, you mentioned that uh, as part of your, 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 your school of the arts audition, but has music been something you've continued to do or is it, did you leave it entirely after that? I, I pretty much entirely left it. Um, if you ask me to sight read, I, I definitely cannot anymore. Um, mm. But I still own a piano. I'm looking mm. at it right now. They're collecting dust sometimes. <laughs> but I'll go and dust her off sometimes and tickle the keys and then turn her off. Um, <laughs> and I own a ukulele. Okay. Do I know how to play it well? No, but it's there if I need it. Um, but pretty much music has taken n- not even a back burner. It's just not mm. there. <laughs> But it, it, it know, is in life, though, because music is like how I survive. But mm-hmm. me playing it is not um, as mm. important anymore. I don't know. I think that there's something to be said for the, the ukulele that you can you, like you can pick it up, strum it a few times, feel good about it. You don't even have to play it well. You can just sort of like it's there and you yeah. can get some joy from like, ah, that 
is a G chord. I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I picked oh, the saddest story. I picked my ukulele up. She was um in my she was in my uh, closet on the top shelf. And I opened mm. her case and she mm. was murdered. She was no! broken. And I was like, I haven't touched you in two years. How could you possibly be broken? Literally, I have not. Nothing has touched you. So Daisy had a death. Um, and then I had to buy her sister Juniper to feel better. But Juniper has been, um, she's been very nice and she's been also chilling, but I, I played with her for like Mm. a few days and then I put her down again, but I really needed to have the ukulele for if I got that creative burst at all, I need to be able to exercise it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what in the, in the last little while has been, giving you joy to get through the day? (sighs) Giving me joy to get through the day. You know what? If it's not enough to get you through the day, from hour to hour is good enough. (laughs) Um, uh, (sighs) Um, Sometimes it's food. Okay. So like, Sometimes my like I know that there's like yummy food in my fridge, so then it mm. it motivates me to get up and go make it and go eat it. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's uh, friendship, so mm. I'll like get on my phone and like text my friends. Um, sometimes it's television. Oh, Lovecraft Country! Every week I look forward to Lovecraft Country. See, that's one of those shows that everybody's been raving about and I don't have HBO. So I'm like, how do I get this show? And I know there are some less than legal ways Craig, to get a hold of it. But yeah, just wait until all of it comes out and then get your like 30 okay, a crazy free tra- Yes, yeah. trial. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I've heard nothing but good it. about it. Okay. It's okay, okay. Amazing. It's Okay. It goes on the list. As someone who is a really big Freddy cat, and mm, I do ooh. get very scared super easily, like a lot of my friends can tell you, I am <laughs> really jumpy, like super jumpy. Um, I love this show so much. Hmm. It's incredible. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, the, the fascinating thing about, about this show is that it's, it's, it's taking inspiration from a horribly, horribly racist white writer. Yes, I love that. And creating a show featuring black actors telling black stories. Yes. Isn't that and like the best F you? That is the best fuck you in the world. And it's amazing. And that's one of the reasons it's been on my list of like, I need to get this, but I just haven't, you know, I think you're right. Wait for the show to finish and get that Crave trial. Yeah, it's so worth it. And I cannot wait for what they do because mm. I'm so invested and it's it's so <laughs> intricate and there are so many like little small plot points that are like playing that that you have to pay attention to to be able to get through like the other episodes. And mm. it's just I'm shaking. I'm <laughs> it's so oh, exciting. OK, OK, that's good. You mentioned uh, 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 connecting with friends. Um I know for me at the beginning, it was like, I need to do video chat with all my friends. And that lasted about a week. 
Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's so tiring. Um, Have you just been like sticking with, with text and phone calls or, or how have you been able manage been managing to maintain those, those distant friendships? So on occasion I will just end up doing a zoom call um, Mm. or I'll FaceTime or like call them randomly, see if they pick up. But basically it's been messaging. Um, A I waited a really, really, really long, long time to go and see my best friend in person because mm. she was like the only one who I really missed and would risk getting sick for. So I did it. <laughs> and she had gotten her COVID results back saying that she was negative anyway. So I knew if it if anyone was getting anyone sick, it would have been me getting her sick. So I... I I've been skeptical and uh, very cautious of meeting up with people, but I have safely mostly outside except for Fatima. Sup, Fatima, love you. Hey, um, but uh, yeah, maintaining um, friendship has mostly been done through a computer or phone screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of that going on. I have done a couple of of distanced friend meetups, but there's yeah. just it feels not. Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm very much uh uh one of my love languages. Oh, let's get deep. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of my love languages is uh, physical touch. So I I show my affection through like hugging and hugging really tight and back rubbing mm. and stuff. So I, if I can't do that with my friends, then it feels like we should have just done this through the phone anyway. Because yeah. you're right in front of me and I can't touch you, then I don't want, I don't want it, but yeah. it's been nice to see people in person. It has, but, um, it just doesn't feel right. No, I, I definitely feel that. Cause I've, you know, you see people and see some really good friends who normally you would give that big hug to and you're like, hello. And you give a little wave and you maybe like tap elbows or whatever. And that's I'm a it. big that's fan of the, the foot same. touch. <laughs> oh, I love the foot touch. Cause I also feel a little weird about the elbow when we're supposed to cough into our elbow. Yes. So the foot touch is a, is a good, safe, distant thing. But again, I'd much rather give those friends a hug. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, been making me as, sad. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll change the subject because <laughs> no, we're just okay. sort of drawing to a close. Is there, as we, I know, I didn't want to go there because like the question is like, as you look ahead and God, I don't even want to talk about looking ahead right now um, at the world of theater or anything <laughs> like that. It just seems so depressing distant. <laughs> distant yes distant and also depressing um is there oh this is going to be one of those like who wants to think about this but if this goes on for another couple of months what do you think or even longer like in two months how how do you feel like you what do you think you will be thinking about doing with the future or, or will you be waiting out the pandemic like what do you think you will do in in regards to in, theater? Yeah. Uh um well besides weight, um <laughs> I think I'll try to um I'll try my best to consume theater. Mm. Um so for example, uh, this is like the best part of summer, but um uh Alphonse in the Park was put on. And mm-hmm. I really loved that show. And I was able to sit outside in the grass mm. and watch a show. Mm. And it was like mm-hmm. the first theater 
thing that had opened since we shut down. Right. And it was so refreshing to just like sit and get lost in a story for a mm. bit. And so that magic is it's still palpable and still there. But with mm-hmm. the months getting colder, I know that we mm. won't be able to do stuff outside. Um, and I know that people are probably likely very much going to try to put things online for consumption. Mm-hmm. So even though we're not going to be sitting in the darkness together alone, um, we can still get lost in the stories that people are telling. And I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind waiting a little bit longer to come back to theater if it means that everyone is going to be safe and healthy and okay and ready and capable to do their jobs so like even if it takes another year I'm not saying it will but if it does um like it's sad and it's painful Mm -hmm. but if it means that everyone's going to be okay then I don't mind 100% I'm not in a rush to get back into the theater I am I am I, the thought of, of that moment when the lights go down and a ripple of coughs runs through the audience, it has yes. a different meaning now. And yeah. I do not relish that thought. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm, I'm happy that there are people who are finding ways to tell stories, even if it's just, even if it's on digital, as long as we're still ter- telling stories and sharing them, then there's, there's hope for the theater in the future. And I think it's exciting because it's a different format than we're used to. So we're we're forced to readjust like the way that we see theater as well. And I think that's refreshing. And then I think it 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 will definitely inform the way that we do theater in the future and um mm-hmm. and how we can possibly even make it more accessible for people who can't even make their way to the theater. Well, that's the thing that's kind of exciting. I was talking with um uh, 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 some some folks from from the East Coast and out in in, in New Brunswick, and and they were talking about how um, one of their smaller theaters there they've outfitted it. They managed to get their their Fringe Festival with some in person theater, but they also have a three camera setup in the theater Whoa. that they were both like broadcasting over the internet that people could like buy like a cheaper ticket and still watch the live show. And they're thinking about this as potentially something they keep doing even after the pandemic. Absolutely. And I think that's amazing, like stretching out and like sharing theater with people that aren't in your neighborhood and aren't in the in the same location and people who can't get to the theater. That's such a I think it's something we should be looking at doing. And and if we're going to be telling people stories, we should be able to reach some of the people whose stories we're telling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes they can't even make their way to the theater. So that's the thing. Yeah. Emma Jade, thank you so much for for having this conversation with me. Thank you for asking me. It's been it's been a really nice time. This has been a Homebody Productions production.